Welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I'm here with my friend Carter. And this is episode three of our four-part series, Creative First Principles, Share. Yeah, and so to catch you up, if you haven't caught the last couple of episodes, the goal of our Creative Principles series is really to kind of break down the creative process to its fundamental first principle elements. And so we're kind of, or at least I'm thinking about it, is the kind of trellis, the things that are always going to be there, no matter how the vine of your creative project goes. So I'll hit you with a cheesy metaphor right off the bat. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we're, we're really thinking about this as the fundamental structure, the building blocks, the foundation, the things that are going to be common denominators across different creative processes and across different disciplines. So that's kind of an introduction to you know what's going on in the series. Encourage you to go yep. back and listen to the first two today. Like Colby said, we're going to talk about share um, and how we're going to talk about it. Maybe you can introduce our our strategy here. Yep. So if you haven't heard already, we're going to ask five questions: What is sharing? Why do you share? How do you share? Where do you share? And when do you share? These questions are definitely. I, I imagine that today's episode will be a little more tactical and like specific about how to do some of these things. Hopefully not that we have all the answers. This is, I mean, as always, these are just conversations trying to figure things out. So I'm excited to hear because I feel like this is very different between writing and music. So I mean, let's just dive in. Like, uh, I'm going to kick it off to you, kick it over to you first, if that's okay. What is sharing? Yeah. Okay. So this is something that my immediate thoughts brought me to split this into two different things. The first was like sharing, i.e. publishing, shipping. Like, okay, your project is done. It's time to get it out the door. That idea of sharing. But then the other kind of prong here is the review or feedback sharing. And that's different, right? That's, you know, it's not necessarily part of revision. Although, you know, we talked about revision. It's definitely something that will prompt revision. But there's also a question of when do I share something in order to get feedback or to do a peer review or send it to someone, you know, maybe someone who's more of a veteran in your field to, to get their thoughts on it. So my immediate um, thought process was, one, the publish, the, okay, we it's ready to go out there, polished, finished. And then also the question about sharing incomplete work or work that's still under revision, I think those are both, I don't know, those both to me fall under the category of share. What do you think? Does that sound mm. like kind of where your mind was at? I was at, I was totally tracking with you on the first one and I agree with both, but I had a third. Um, so I agree with both of those. Yes. Sharing your, sharing the actual work, like publishing, sharing for feedback. And then third, sharing as in marketing it. So something that is already like published and sharing that again, even though it's already out in the world, you know, sharing it just as in marketing efforts and getting people to know like, oh yeah, I did write that article or I did put out that song. So I feel like that maybe those are the, and maybe there's more than three, but those seem to be the big three prongs like that we could probably talk about more like uh, distribution is what I call the published part, distribution, marketing, and um, feedback or sharing incomplete work. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad that you mentioned the third one. That is a big one. And that's something that, I mean, even me not coming up tells you, that's something that's less on my radar, which I'm excited to hear you talk about today. That third step of, okay, it's out there, but you know, how do we bring attention to it? Or how do we, I don't know, is it wrong to say market it or publicize it? Like, what do you think? Is that kind of along the lines of what you were thinking with that third one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the way that I was breaking this down, like I just, I drew a little picture you can see on my card here um, of kind of this, these two columns on the left was distribution and on the right was marketing and distribution. I kind of broke it down by different categories. Like what is distribution for a musician versus an author versus a, like a dancer, <laughs> which is another one I thought of like for the musician distribution is putting out your songs on streaming platforms like Spotify, maybe putting out a physical record because uh, vinyl is really popular right now, 
cassettes, I think, are maybe even coming back a little bit. Dude, CDs. Can I jump in just for one second? <laughs> yes. On the cassette thing. So I was watching a documentary about the Dave Matthews Band. And, uh, tell us what you think about the Dave Matthews Bands at our email. Uh, and when they were first starting, people would just like record their concerts on cassette and then like like trade them and sell them to the point where people were showing up for their concerts and they knew the lyrics to all their songs and they hadn't put out any music. Like they hadn't released anything. Really? Just from people like trading these cassettes around. And I thought that was wild. I'm like, can you imagine? And so maybe that's, wow. you know, maybe it's like, surely distribution and sharing looks totally different right now in 2022 versus 1990. I mean, it's oh a whole gosh, different yeah. game. I mean, SoundCloud, I know for the music industry mm-hmm. is huge. Oh, yeah. Online journals, you know, you don't actually send off poems or articles in the mail to publishers, right? Everything's electronic. Yeah, I definitely think maybe that'll be part of the conversation too, but I had to jump in on the cassette thing. Um, yeah, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. That's so cool. And I mean, that's the dream to have people like, so it's like people want the the music you're making so much that they will, they're showing up and they're recording on their iPhones and then they're sending the link to people. You know what I mean? That's crazy. But yeah, I, I was just saying, I think um, with distribution, like, it's interesting because then, like you said, it's different for authors. That's, you know, obviously publishing, writing, blogs, newsletters, articles, books, poetry. I don't, you know, that space way better than I do because you've had works published. Um, and then like something like dancing, I think is a good third example to throw in there because it's not a physical or tangible or even a digital good necessarily, unless you're making a video, I guess, like a dance video or music video. Um, but that's like a performance, like a live performance, which I think is another piece of share your work, you know, like performing definitely falls under the share category. That's a good one. I'm glad that you added performance. Um, yeah, that's a solid list, I think. And then you have marketing, the second column, which is, you know, um, a lot of different strategies and ways to, um, bring more attention to your work and share your work and grow it. And I also think they're not necessarily completely separate because, you know, the way that you share your book can totally be a marketing effort. You know what I mean? Like even designing a good book cover is a piece of your marketing plan. I feel like, um, so they're not perfectly separate categories, but, um, anyways, there's a there's just there's a lot that falls under sharing, I guess. That's good. And I think that's I think you're right to point out the difference between kind of our disciplines and that. It's like I wouldn't go on a marketing campaign to bring attention to a I don't know, a scholarly article <laughs> that I got published. Like it would be like yeah. I feel like it'd be super vain to go out and be like, like, go check out the new article on Adorno's theory of dialectics. Like it, nobody cares, first of all, no one cares. Second of all, I say there's no like incentive of people like monetizing that. So I, I think that's another reason why you don't see a lot of kind of marketing for academic work. Now, of course, with like actual books, when people are selling monographs and doing book tours and, um, mm-hmm. you know, book tours probably more for fiction, but uh, even academic books, there's a whole strategy that I'm just, I have no idea. You know, I haven't been there. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to think about the difference between, and you said book covers. And I, and I think I've encountered a bunch of different stories of like that being negotiated between the creator and like the publishing company. And so hmm. it's it's one of those things where, okay, right on the cover of the book, the author doesn't get full say, right? It's like it's like this, the line between sharing and marketing, like right on the book cover. It's kind of getting negotiated oh. there. You want something that's uh, right the publisher wants something that's going to be successful. And at the same time, right, the author, I'm sure, is engaging in those. But that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of where my mind went to with that. I don't know how I got there, but a couple huh, of thoughts super on interesting. That. Yeah, that's super interesting. Oh, music. Okay, so that's totally different. With music, yeah. what role does, what role, role does post-production, well, I guess it's even post-launch marketing play, like what experience do you have with that? 
I think marketing music, once you've launched it, first of all, there's a big element of just dropping a song. I think of, uh, a lot of effort gets put at, at least the music that I see do well, a lot of effort gets put into the cover art and then expanding outside of that cover art and having secondary designs that, and marketing materials that really create like a, a real storyline to the music. And, and then today you have additional things like Spotify canvas, you know, the looping videos behind, that people have on their Spotify page and they might use that for a YouTube video. And so there's a lot that goes into just making the visual side of a song that really brings it alive in a way. I think that, um, adds a lot to the sound itself. And I don't say this as someone who has a ton of experience doing it myself, but just as kind of an observer of people who do it really well. Um, but I think that that's a big aspect. And then there's a million different strategies of how you can do the, um, do the launch. But I think really it is important to not like you can make a song and put it out there. Um, and, and people can come across it organically by checking your page again, looking at your music scene, if there's anything new, but really like, um, uh, it's really with pretty similar to marketing and business. I think you have to, there's everyone's fighting for attention these days. And so you have to figure out how you can get in front of people again and remind them because you need to hear, sometimes you need to hear something more than once before you go take action on it and go set aside the time to listen to that song. And so I think there's, you know, you put a song out in January and you might want to continue reminding people about that song heavily throughout that first couple weeks and month. Um, but even beyond that, just reminding people of your catalog and, um, I don't know if that's a good answer. There's a lot of different things you could go into, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you asked my question more concisely than I did. Uh, Just curious about, and this has been helpful of, yeah, there's this whole pre drop. I don't know what you call it. Uh, before the launch that goes into, um, a music, launch i said launch like five times um but yeah yeah so within this should we pivot to why or do we have yeah. more to say on what no i think that there well i think there is more to say but it it'll be answered in these other questions so okay that might have been a really terrible pivot it's like <laughs> a really like mid-sentence hard turn so if you're still with us we're going to go to the question why so why do we share? Colby, you want to start us on this? I think that I already kind of wanted to go into this in the last question in a way because you you share, I guess we need to answer this specific to the different types of sharing that there is. So why do you, I'll talk about the marketing first. Why do you need to market? Um, I don't think it necessarily has to be, um, you know, I think it, I don't think it's always something that's vain. I think it's something that's helpful to, you know, you have to share your work in order for people to find it. It's the most basic answer I could give, of course. That's the obvious, but it's really true. It's like um, we have to share this podcast with someone in order for them to find it. And of course, we are not spending a lot of time marketing the show and we don't have a desire to do that, but we are at a minimum sharing it with some friends and telling them and asking them to tell people to um, share it as well. And so I think that that's the basic why is just so that your work is seen and experienced. Um, And I think that there's an element where the sharing aspect, whether it's how you put out, how you decide to publish it, like do you work with um, a company or do you do it indie? Do you, um, you know, go everywhere and to all these platforms, all these bookstores, all these performance locations, or do you choose a really specific one and that sends a message? Like there's actually, you can do a lot with the way that you put music out or put art out that makes a statement about the art as well. That's probably something else that'd be interesting to talk about at some point. Um, Like putting out a book with a major publishing house or putting one out on your own and self-publishing, make two different statements Um, obviously one of those is harder to do than the other, but they both have challenges and, um, and in the same way with marketing, like you can put yourself out everywhere or you can kind of make a stance. You can say, I'm, I'm only going to use 
this social platform and I'm not going to be on these other ones because I don't like them or I don't want them to have, you know, my show or whatever it is. So there's a lot of different reasons, I think, but I guess I'll just give the most basic one, which is so that you can get feedback so people can hear and so you can uh, grow. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you you think? Yeah, I just, I like the connection you made with, and this is kind of where I was at. It kind of is context dependent. Like I said vain because it would be weird for an academic to like really Mm -hmm. go out and drum up attention to an article. Like if they had an Mm -hmm. actual standalone book, right? Yeah, you'd have some, you'd want to pub, you know, do this marketing and publicity. But it's like the context. Like if you're not doing that and you're trying to make music, like you're probably doing something wrong unless you like really want to go grassroots and you don't want to do any marketing. And that's important to you. And so I think it's interesting what you brought up, that it can be dependent on what the project is. Your marketing strategy, your sharing strategy could be dependent to you or the project or the context. I don't know. I think that's an interesting distinction there that how you share it can be tailored to why you're sharing it what you're sharing when you're sharing like all of these things there's no just an equation there's not just a formula it's really dependent where you're at financially how much can you spend on marketing all of those things i feel like just kind of go into this question Mm. of how you're sharing things yeah any what do you think does that sound something yeah, legible I there I, yeah i think just i mean i know i'm not going to be able to think of every every scenario for especially for crafts that are outside of what i do but yeah i think you're right that there's a lot of different ways that you're going to share like we've already identified four big ways you know publishing and getting feedback marketing and performing but then there's there's even more ways than that that you share um that you do all of those four things and so I think that it definitely needs to fit into the context of whatever your um, goals are, I suppose. And so like for this podcast is kind of a good example, like because our goals, we have goals for this show, but it's small and it's a side thing that's not our main, you know, pursuit right now. So it's like that impacts how much we want to market this thing and grow this and how we talk about it. And um yeah, I think the same thing is true of our music or our writing. I think projects that we're working on. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so to go back to kind of my initial thoughts on why that I have written down here, it would be, to kind of go conceptual here, it would be weird to have private art that you didn't share with anyone. Like, okay, maybe you journal, right? That's private. But the idea of like, creating art and this kind of goes back to our previous discussions on like why create the idea of of creating something that you would like never let anyone see this idea of this private art is just a really weird thing i don't know does that sound weird to you do like, you think it, like, a lot of people do that though like do you see, think that's a, i don't know maybe don't there's people do it do they like maybe there's i'm just thinking of like i don't know the 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 man who is super introverted and is like dabbling in painting but doesn't want to share it because i mean i think maybe something worth talking about that kind of goes outside of these questions but is just a good another question to ask is like um i think there's just a lot of awkwardness and ickiness to like sharing your work it's uncomfortable um even sharing this podcast can be uncomfortable at times and and that's part of the reason i don't want to put a huge amount of marketing behind something whenever you put a lot of energy into sharing something it sort of exposes like um well i think this is good and i hope that and what if people don't think it is you know and then you hear that criticism and so there's really a question we should ask be asking is like it's not necessarily just why do you share but (laughs) it's the next question how do you share and how do you get over those those uh insecurities or inhibitions and things that hold you back from sharing um because i think that that's just a lot of times for many um at least for me probably for both of us i think that there can be just like a, a holding back and a fear maybe of um i don't know if it's fear but yeah yeah it's I like think a there's fear just a of lot criticism of, i yeah. think and and 
And so to jump to that, I think would be, yeah, let's, let's move the conversation there. But the last thing I'll say, I thought about as I was just talking there a minute ago, it's worth saying, yeah, the first example came to my mind of like Emily Dickinson, who's the bulk of her poetry, if not all, there might've been one or two poems was published like after her death. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she was a private artist. And so I, wow. it's it's good to think, I'm glad that you brought our attention to this. It's good to think of the private artist as someone, yeah, who's out there. But then you get into the question of like, is that good? Is something holding you back? Like, is art meant, and like, in my mind, why I went here is I think art mm-hmm. is meant to be deeply interpersonal. It's the subject in in I giving something to the subject in you. And there's some sort of like deeply mm. personal aspect of sharing. And I think this is kind of what we're getting at that can be yeah. really scary. Like I'm opening up myself in a way that's not just like a facade. Like I'm letting you see into my subject, like the me, not just like, it's not just Carter the grad student at University of Kentucky, like the statistic, it's like me. It's the subject me that's created something that's mm. uh, that's involved in this, giving it to you, and then opening my opening myself up to hear your thoughts, whatever they might be. And so I get yeah. that it's like it can definitely be terrifying. But the, the why I went to the idea of private art being strange to me is I wonder if that's like it's like art that's been hamstrung. I don't know. I. I I feel like I could so, argue that art should be shared. I don't know. Yeah. So I think maybe that's like where I should have taken it because I love what you're saying. It's so good. And there's this, it's like, we don't look at that person or I don't look at that person who's maybe picked up painting and they're really introverted and they're dabbling in it. They don't think that they're Picasso. They don't think that they're incredible at it, but they're, growing in it and it's this hobby it's this thing that they love and they don't share it with anyone and it's not because they don't want to share it with anyone necessarily maybe it is for some but then for others i think um maybe it's well if i share this it's kind of gets to what you just said if i share this i'm opening myself up to your critique and i I know i want to qualify it away i know this needs to be improved i know this needs to be better you know, I'm just speaking from how I would share my something, you know, let's say I'm working on a song. It's like, I want to spend five minutes prefacing why, what needs to be fixed. And then I want you to hear it, you know? Um, but it's like, we don't look at that scenario and think, Oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. We look at it and we're like, no, like put, put your painting out there. Let people see it. This is good. Like you couldn't do any painting and now look at what you just made. That's a beautiful picture. And it's not Picasso's art, but you're not Picasso. Like, that's okay. Like you are, you're doing an amazing job. And so I think we look at that scenario and at least for me, I, I, I see it as like, well, they probably are, there probably is an element of them wanting to share, but being afraid to. And so that, that just shows like they want to now, maybe there is a category for people who really don't want to, and they just want to do it as sort of a journal. And there's value in that. And that's totally different. Yeah. And I think valuable too. But I think that we look at those scenarios of the kind of quiet creative or the introverted creative and we think um, that, you know, get out of your shell. At least that's kind of how the movies go. You know, it's like you have to overcome the fear of sharing and you have to put yourself out there. And um, this is and this is know. something, yeah, I love all of this. Um, and yeah, I think it can be valuable journaling or even creating for yourself. There's stuff that I create that never sees the light of light of day, right? There, there's all sorts of stuff in the process that you're going to create that'll be private. Um, I was just thinking about right broadly, it would be weird if art was only a private enterprise. Last thing I'll say on that to yeah. jump off of what you were saying right there, it's kind of like a relationship. Like, it's scary to be vulnerable with someone. I mean, it's the same reason that you don't want to open up to someone else and say, oh, there's this part of me in here that you may not, I don't know what you're going to think about it. I don't know, you know, how you're going to deal with that. Do you even know that about me? Does that change your perspective of who you think I am? Right? All of that sort of tension 
it's in art because it's so deeply to go back to our conversation, which I loved on the first episode about art being a way to interpret our lives. That was something that you were talking about, Mm. Colby. Um, Yeah, we're interpreting something. And just like any other relationship, vulnerability is not something that we're like, oh, yay, vulnerability. Yeah, that's really that's really well said because, yeah, I think that is what it comes down to, especially when you think about um, a lot of art, if you're thinking for, for writing poetry or writing songs, you know, which is kind of what some of the things that me and you think about is, is very often a personal, you know, you write songs, most often songs are personal and maybe they're not always personal, but they, um, you draw from experiences and you tell stories about relationships or about struggles and life is messy. And so you share, you don't normally like the songs that go crazy and succeed are often the songs about heartache and pain and you know what I mean? Like the, and, and party songs and things like that too. But there's a lot of like vulnerability that you will see in the songs that do so well in, in, you know, in different genres across different styles. Um, and so it's like on a, yeah, when you're writing that, that's scary to put out and share for sure. Absolutely. And another thing I'm thinking about is it doesn't even have to be, I mean, even art that's not like confessional, let's just say confessional, like there's some sort of personal thing. Let's say for me, Uh working on an academic paper, something like that. I'm actually trying to draft my exam list, book list for uh, dissertation exams. And as I've been kind of working on it, I sent it off to a professor. um, Mm -hmm. And this was just kind of like a first jab at it. And it really missed the mark. Like, it really missed the mark. I sat down. There's all this sort of stuff wrong with it. It was kind of, I wrongly interpreted what I was, you know, supposed to do in these ways. And, you know, I'm still trying to navigate what it looks like across, you know, different people in the department. Think about it differently. And and I just flopped on it. And so even if it's not a um, a personal thing, when when we create work and it just gets eviscerated in that way, it just leaves you feeling like, oh, big punch in the gut. But it's mm. like that death of that version is necessary. Like unless that version dies, then the next one's not going to get brought to life. And I think it's that process of the death of a draft that that can be kind of painful. Even if it's not something mm. that's like personal, like you're revealing, it's still your work. And it's still like, it's still not good enough. And that, you know, there's a way I think we can embrace that, which is the goal to say, yes, like to see that and say, yeah, it could be something more, but Mm -hmm. that's a tough thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think that I can, I know that I can relate to that very much because I think if I could, in the spirit of vulnerability, share this, I think I am someone who tends to hear feedback through the lens of like me instead of the work. And so, and maybe that, I mean, I would assume that I'm not the only one who struggles with that, you know? So instead of hearing, Hey, this, uh, you know, we need to tweak these things about the song. I think I hear, therefore you're not good enough yet, you know? And of course that's not what anyone ever says. Um, And it sounds even silly to say out loud, but internally, I think those are the kind of emotions that can come out for me is, feeling like, well, I have to get the song right so that I can have that value back. And it's just a wrong way of thinking about my value and my worth and, and the art and just like taking things, basically just taking things too personally. Um, and so I think that's a very real thing. So like you said, even if it's a something at work or something in an academic paper that is so not personal and not confessional or con- confessing anything from your personal life, it's like still it could, you can take it in a way that feels so personal because it's, it's like, oh, bummer. Like I really was trying and that really flopped. Uh, so that's hard. And I think that's just a real part of, of sharing that you, like you said, you can flip it and you can reframe it to say, this is a necessary step to get to the place that I know I'm able to get to. So. Yeah. And so to, to say something on this, 
we have no answers here. It's hard. <laughs> it's like it's difficult. But we do think. Do you hey, have answers? It, I have no answers. Do yeah? Do you Listen have answers? answers? <laughs> email us. Uh, I love giving our email uh, plugs. Yes. The. Uh, but yes, although it's difficult for all these reasons, it is kind of necessary. Right. It's necessary. I think it's necessary to share whether you're you're kind of publishing or whether you're just giving it out for feedback. It's mm-hmm. part of the process. It's why we have it on our creative first principles list is because it's 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 centered in kind of any project, even a performance you're doing, you're gonna be sharing. It's it's ninety nine point nine percent of the time it's built into whatever creative endeavor that you're working on. So how do you share? This one kind of puzzled me for a minute. I was like, okay, how do I share? Well, I guess I submit things to a couple of places, but I yeah. don't do a whole lot of sharing. I mean, is is submitting things sharing? Can you, yeah, maybe we should both answer this for like our specific, you know, crafts. What do you do? Sure. I, I don't do much sharing. I share when I submit things for classes. I share when I send stuff out for publication. Um, and that's mostly blogs or i know you've got right now i mean it's mostly scholarly journals with the occasional creative piece it's pretty much it um so, so what's that process like and is it being yeah. published online or in print good so uh, the scholarly journal process is one typically of you send out a manuscript if they decide to peer review it it gets sent out to three scholars in the field they give their judgments and comments on it with proposals for your revision they ask you if you want to revise it you revise it and then you send it back and it can take months like i had a buddy it's like been a whole year or something he finally gets finally moving to peer review it's a super slow process um so that's kind of the the process of sharing something scholarly right you might get a rejection you might get you know asked to revise which is typically the good sign if you were, if they're asking mm-hmm. you to revise, they're basically saying, if you fix these things or adjust it this way, we'll publish it. For creative stuff, it's typically you just send it off and hope for, hope for the best, and they either accept it or they don't accept it. Um, and a lot of that's email submission to the, the online journals that I've um, submitted to for creative work. But with the academic journals, there's typically, at least I only speak for the literature circle, there's typically a physical copy. Like I get the Steinbeck review, which is... You know, you'd access this through your library's database, but they also have a physical copy that they send out. So those are the two main cool. things that, you know, it, it's slow. I don't know. Yeah. There's some like really prolific writers, but most of the time it's kind of a slow moving process. And I guess since you're more in this world, I feel like the, seems like the book writing process is very, slow and i know we're not really talking about the the process right now we're talking about the sharing but you know if you're working with a publisher it just imagine that there's so many hoops with all of that just on like getting your book into stores and or even into amazon or something like that like it is that true yeah well i'm only secondhand smoking here on the uh (laughs) in this regards of what i've heard from professors um in the academic realm yeah it's slow it's slow and involves a lot of feedback and yeah sharing in academia is typically slow but and i think that's one of the big differences so how do we share i share most of the time in those two ways it takes time sharing can you know it's not instant um yeah i mean that's those are my thoughts i'd love to hear where did your where'd you go when you were thinking about how do you share like did you like i wonder did you get like nitty gritty on like how yeah, like mechanical okay yeah definitely. perfect um so how do you share i guess most of what i could talk the most about would be on the marketing piece of this and of course i can't speak for every discipline so i can only talk about music but um you know how do you share in music like i already covered i think there's a lot you'll see a lot of effort put into the actual launch of a song um, which is like probably true of a lot of other things, book launches, product launches for companies. Um, 
movies, you know, like any piece of art, like you'll see in the entertainment industry, I think a big push around the launch of something. Um, even, but what's cool about it too, is that even after you put out something like a movie or a song, like it still exists in the world for, for as long as it's out there. I mean, it in hypothetically forever, you know? So it's like you have a song that what's crazy today before I get into the rest of my answer is that you'll have a song from 15, 20 years ago that people find 10 seconds of it that they love on TikTok. And then it becomes a trend. And then all of a sudden that artist had no traffic and now their Spotify page or their Apple music page or whatever has millions of streams on the song just because a 10 second part got catchy and someone like did a a stupid dance or something, you know, and it just, we're in the wild west of sharing. It's crazy. That is the, that is the wild west right now of sharing for sure. Because yeah, I just hear all the time of like, Oh yeah, this, this song from uh, Frank Ocean from 15 years ago is huge again, or this random Whitney Houston song, or I don't even know, like whatever, just these random clips. Um, I'm really not on TikTok, so I don't really know, but it's just second hand secondhand smoking again yeah um but yeah i guess that's interesting but first piece of music i would say what's interesting about music is there's i think so much um so much of what i think about or am exposed to is more so related to um the process of like an indie distribution and being an indie artist and putting music out yourself like the self-publishing route for music really like anyone can so easily i know anyone can easily put out a book on amazon today i'm sure there's a way to do that pretty easily but it just seems more like easy and feasible almost in the music world because you do hear all the stories about people who have a song on soundcloud or tiktok or whatever platform that it goes off on um I feel like I'm rambling, but no, that's cool. A- that like it's really. I, I don't know if you were going to sum up, but I was thinking, right? It's more accessible yeah. now. Sharing is, yeah. But at the same time, like there's that's great that there's not these kind of thresholds you have to jump over. But at the same time, the market, quote unquote, is saturated. Right? There's every like right. the access is so low. Like you have to really. I don't know. I know in the yeah, music yeah. realm. You know, it's the same in the kind of written world, but like in the music realm, particularly, it seems like there's just so much music there. There's so many, you know, artists putting stuff out there that I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that's really low quality. Uh, but there's probably also a lot of stuff that's very much, you know, uh, quality production. It's got, you know, thoughtfulness in it. And there's probably a lot of more artists right now. And so like mm-hmm. sharing. Yeah. Like sharing has changed the landscape of art. Yeah. And just by the sheer fact that you don't have to go, one, you don't have to go to a studio anymore. You have it at home. Two, you don't have to get physical copies anymore. So you don't have to have a manufacturer to make CDs or anything like that. So anyone can make music on their computer and then they can distribute it through DistroKid onto Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, YouTube, everything. And that's, those are all the tools that the the professionals have. And of course they have direct access through a record label to Spotify. And so they can do, do things that I couldn't do as just a indie artist on DistroKid or something, but like they have the same tools essentially that I do, which is crazy. Um, cause I don't have an, a label behind me. I don't have any industry connections. And, um, so that's amazing. And I think, um, I could share, if you want, I do have some more thoughts on just different things I've been learning in marketing about really practical ways to share, if that would be helpful. Um, I would love to hear that. Do you think that those things would tie in sort of with where? Like, yeah, yeah, I think so. I wonder if you could. So I, would, lo- I would love to hear this. This is one of the things. I've got a big question mark drone like <laughs> on my notes here. I wanted to hear you talk about the yeah what are you thinking through with marketing how has that changed i mean you've been in marketing for a couple of years now right Mm -hmm. and so i mean i know you're constantly reading you're working on it yeah i'm excited to hear what are some of the strategies where did your mind take you when you were thinking about how do you share where do you share 
there's this, uh, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago and one of the things that he said that stuck out with me was, um, marketing is more than content marketing. You know, content marketing is things like writing blog posts, making videos, making content about your topic or whatever your business is or whatever, and then using that to kind of educate people and then telling them, hey, we also have this product. We make this thing. You know, you should check it out. So it's kind of like giving value away for free and then in return getting new um, eyeballs on your business and just kind of awareness, and then you turn that into customers. But that's, and that's kind of the biggest one of the biggest marketing like strategies that's popular right now. But yeah, I think it was really insightful that he said, you know, marketing is not just content marketing. Like that's literally only one strategy. And in the same way, like I used to think about sharing work and marketing as kind of, well, I need to put out, I put a song out, I put it on SoundCloud before I even knew how to put music on Spotify. And it was like, okay, I need to put this on Instagram. You know, that was kind of my marketing plan. Um, And recently, um, you know, just over the past few years, learning more and more about all of the channels that exist and all of the strategies and all the different things that go into marketing has broadened my perspective a lot to see, okay, it's way more than just putting something out on social media. And um, so the only thing I'll share to keep things kind of brief is the Corey Haynes, who's a marketer, um, is specifically in the software space. Um, He has this thing that he's coined kind of called the orb framework owned, rented and borrowed. And it's kind of these three categories of different places where you can market yourself. And so it's really helpful for me to conceptualize and get organized about how many different strategies there are out there. Cause there's just too many. So kind of imagine three circles, um, one inside of the other, kind of like a target and, you have um, on the inside, the bullseye of that target is owned channels. The next circle out is rented and the furthest circle out is borrowed. And so um, owned channels are kind of like the, the money of marketing. Like that's, these are the things that you have full ownership and control over and can't really be taken away from you more or less. Um, Those are things like, a list of emails or a list of phone numbers, like contact information of your audience. Um, it, it could be for this podcast, like the RSS feed we own, like the people who've subscribed here, that's kind of owned like more or less. Cause it's not, you know, like Spotify doesn't only distribute our show. The RSS feed goes out to all these shows. So essentially own channels are all of these things that you can really say, Oh, your website. If you have a website, that's another own channel. Um, rented channels would be things that have a little bit of platform risk, basically. Like there's a risk of you, um, you're not in full control. So that is things like social media, um, SEO on Google, because at the end of the day, you can manipulate that, but you, you know, Google can just pretty much take you and derank you and do whatever they want, really. I mean, you are at the mercy of that algorithm essentially. So YouTube is another rented channel. So if even if you have 4 million subscribers on YouTube, which would be incredible, you don't um, own the direct line to them because YouTube can demonetize you because you talk about something because you broke a rule or, um, you know, and there's, it's not to say that there's like a, a bad part of this for those, those platforms are not bad or anything like that, but it's just um, really the, the concept of this framework is that own channels are the best because like if you have a list of emails of people that really love your work and you can send them an email and say, Hey, I put out a new song. Um, that's so much more valuable than having, um, like, let's say you have 4,000 email subscribers and you have 40,000 Instagram followers. Like those 4,000 email subscribers mean so much more because that's 4,000 people who you're sending an individual message to and they're going to read it and they'll probably, you know, buy that thing you're selling or listen to that song you're, you're putting out or whatever it is. Um, because it's more direct communication than, than just scrolling through Instagram and seeing a post that was kind of shared to everybody, you know? Um, and then third circle is borrowed. 
And this is leveraging other people's audiences to promote your message. And so borrowed is like um, being a guest on another podcast, being a guest blogger on another website, um, being featured in a newsletter or something. Any way that you are being put before someone else's audience of owned, rented, and maybe borrowed channels, like that's kind of that third one. So hopefully that's helpful. For me, that was like light bulbs went off to see things mapped out properly in their place and recognize like, oh, okay, so this thing, social media that I used to think was all the marketing I needed to do is really only one portion of one slice of what marketing can include. Um, so that was really helpful. Do you, so do you yeah. think, let's kind of reflecting on this, do you think all the attention's going to the rented space? Like, is that where you're hearing? So one of the questions I wanted to ask, and you kind of touched on it there a second, but like what, what has changed or like what misconception do you think you had like two years ago about what marketing looked like? So you talked about kind of approaching social media as the be all end all. Um, yeah. How has that changed? Was that the big thing that's like shifted or are there other things that you, you're come to realize like, okay, there's a lot of attention on this, but right. I'm missing the email list or I'm missing these kind of like stable owned resources. Yeah. I, anything that, off of that that's sparking your I just think I didn't have a framework for thinking through how each platform fit together I suppose because I think they're all pieces of a bigger picture and a bigger plan that you should have so social media is really valuable but so is having a website and their different purposes and things and at the end of the day these social media platforms own so much of what's happening in that situation that isn't necessarily all bad because they're also providing you with a ton of value. Like for example, YouTube is a discovery engine that can, you know, send your video to a bunch of people's little suggested window on the sidebar and say, Hey, watch this video. And then you can get a bunch of views. Whereas if, if you just have an email list, it's not going to do that. It's just an email to a single person, you know? Um, so like there's obvious benefits you get from these rented platforms like YouTube and Instagram and the socials, but um, they're just not the entire picture of what basically what a business or what a, what you should have in your whole strategy of marketing, I guess. And so I, I think the big shift for me is like realizing and learning still like, oh man, like just even thinking, yeah, email's not sexy or cool. It's email, you know, it's like, it's, um, and this is even changing too, because I feel like texting is even, seems like texting today is like what email used to be <laughs> like, uh, people emails, the new snail mail emails, the new email is the new snail mail <laughs> and email. The new email is messaging, you know, cause people would rather Snapchat or, you know what I mean? Like, I'll tell you what though, like my, just to riff on email a little bit. I am. I think I'm more likely to click on if a company sends me an email. Like I get, mm -hmm. I get like an Orvis email or something. Yeah. If Orvis texted me, I would be like, "What are you doing here? Like, get out of my like messages. This is like where I talk to people. It's really interesting. It's like I feel like I'm much yeah. more like associate. Like I've associated email with. Okay, I might get offers. I might have different companies. You know, I might be on these email lists. That it's mm -hmm. almost become. I don't know, like a shopping thing too with email where it would be yeah. like really out of place if I got a message from someone. Like it would be almost like an invasion of like my huh. private correspondence. But it's interesting to think about how this is thing, changing, yeah. right? Yeah. Like how email yeah, might have... Because yeah. you'll keep seeing more and more brands, I think, and I'm, I'm seeing currently like more and more brands do the like text us at here's our number and then you text them and you might get 10% off. And they're doing what email has been doing for years, but they're just moving it to the new channel of texting and cause it's becoming easier to do that through, um, different platforms and, and build pretty much the same thing, build a list of phone numbers and then send out a text about a discount code or a new video that dropped or a new song, um, and make things, you can also make it a little more interactive. I haven't really done anything with the SMS marketing stuff, but yeah, it is kind of crazy. Cause I agree. Like I'll get a text with some of that stuff and it feels more, 
like unexpected in that invasive. thread of text messages than a than you know than an email and i get those invasive emails all the time and so yeah that is interesting i don't know did anything that i said like stick out to you though like how do you how do you think you conceptualize that stuff well i really enjoyed listening to you talk about it because it's something i'm so unfamiliar with and so from my i got to stop saying and so uh in the air edits. In my framework, it seems like a lot of the conversations have been about social media, right? And I think yeah. it's just because people are like, this is crazy. If we look at it over the last 20 years, it's totally changed how people do business, how people do careers. It's a viable yeah. thing to try to do like a career based on you know, making money on advertisements and marketing and content creation. I mean, it's become a kind of meme, right? I'm a content creator. You know, it's kind of a joke, yeah. but why is it a joke? It's because people are out there doing it. And so I, I think I was kind of caught up in what do I think about marketing? I think about marketing on social media, email marketing being old fashioned and kind of outdated. It's not the cutting edge. Right. But at the same time, you've kind of pointed out one of the things uh, about newsletters that's really resounded. Like how people will, like, I guess, was it Tim Ferriss that you first encountered kind of like the power of the newsletter idea? I don't know. I kind of want to say, I mean, I think it was Corey Haynes who said the idea that I've that you're talking about. The idea that, you know, like Instagram, you send out a message and it's this kind of like vague message to everyone. But in email, it's like, hey, Carter, check this out, you know, and it's a one-to-one, -one. even if you're sending one email to 5,000 people, you know, it still gives you the feeling on, on the receiving end, you still feel like, oh, this was made for me, which is just different than like Instagram. Yeah. And so I've signed up for newsletters before that I enjoy. I did one just a couple of weeks ago and it was just, a, it's a different sort of thing. Like you have a different role. Yeah. It's not just another post on a feed it's coming to you but also if you get for like paid subscribers like i guess they do that on do they do that on substack paid subscribers yeah, that's, that's one of the platforms yeah. okay yeah that's a crazy cool business model of okay if you get 500 people paying ten dollars a month to subscribe right that's worth a lot more than your you know ten thousand followers on instagram or something and so that was i, I don't know that's one of the things that you've brought my attention to the power yeah. of the subscription uh, in an email and the newsletter and things that I thought, okay, those seem to be more outdated because they're a little bit older than social media. Right. But they have so much like staying power. Yeah. I think that's kind of what's interesting. It's like the, just recognizing like, may, obviously I'm just talking over here and there's people making crazy money on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and they're all the rented channels. But the danger of it is that you can you can just lose that. You don't own it. Like, so like everyone who follows you on Instagram, you don't have their email address. You might, you can look through and you can see their name, but you can't see their email, their phone number. You can't follow up with them. If they, if they unfollow you, that's it. Or if, um, your account gets banned or something happens, then you're, you lost it, you know? So if you have a list of emails and you're using one email provider and then you say, I want to move to a new one, you download a, csv file you know you have a list of emails a tangible thing that is worth a lot because then you have i know these are 500 people that like talking about creativity you know hopefully we build something for the craft at one point i think that would be great for us to do um but it is interesting because it doesn't i think because it's not cutting edge and it's so antiquated it feels um silly or whatever but it's <laughs> I think that's the whole value of it is that it's been around since I think the 1980s. So it's one of the most steady and consistent places that you can connect to people. And something else that was pointed out in that video that I watched was you log into every other account on the internet through your email. And so like, if you're going to be, you might not be on Instagram in another three years. And so you might start losing those followers, but you aren't going to like lose someone's email unless they don't give you a good email in the first place. Um, so give you the, the AOL power. dot. 
Yeah. yeah. I do have a spam email, I will say. <laughs> sometimes it just depends. Sometimes I give that one out. <laughs> well, let's uh this is really good. Let's let's transition here to our last pillar or not a pillar just forget i said that our last question here which is yes when when. do you share and this is a this is one that i you know i think this is a really good question because we're often faced with trying to determine is this ready like is it ready is it ready Mm -hmm. to ship out to my peers is it ready to, to finally package that's a tough question and it's involved with revision i think we even talked about how this might come up with share in our revision so. episode. Yeah, I think so. So do you want to do this like our discipline kind yeah. of? like? So when do you, what are some key markers or what's the barometer about when something's ready to go? Like, is it because the deadline's coming up? Is it because you're sick and tired of working on it? Like you have to finish this? Is it because, you know, yeah, what are those things that you think indicate to you that something's ready to, let's for just kind of sake of condensing, it's ready to get shared publicly. Okay, yeah. Um, I think it's something that is, that I still struggle with knowing, probably. Uh, it's not easy to let that let that stuff go. I think for me, I probably hit a point where I'm just like, okay, I need to do X, Y, Z, finish this and then just put it out and just like kind of just like close my eyes, send it, hit send, just run away. You know what I mean? Like just slam the computer close and run. Just do it. Get it out there. Let it go. I literally did this today with an email. I was like, oh, just hit send. I know. I I think I did too with an email today. I was just like, I've looked at this enough. I've looked at it enough. I've asked someone for feedback. I've looked at it again. I just, I'm going to mess up something in it. Send, you know, just like, there there comes a place so i'm a little bit less on the side of like toiling over something to my detriment i think sometimes i'm just like i done better than perfect send it um but then so that's probably the way that i lean but at the same time it's challenging to know when is this piece of art done and for me i do a lot of work you know, with a lot of my work recently has just been working with other artists. And so it's not really been something I'm having to think about, I guess. It's like, well, when do they think it's done? And so maybe the only thing that's challenging there is just that revision process can be a little tedious when it's not in your control. Cause then it's, then you're kind of dealing with someone else's decision process of, okay, we need to revise this. We need to change that. And it's just normally subjective things about turning this up and turning that down and changing this sound and um so it can be it can be a bit of a tedious process cuz really you get to a point i think where you're ready to just put it out there um but it's interesting because i think if the di- there's a big difference between putting something out when it's not ready and then waiting just a little bit longer getting it right and then the response that you get whenever you have a real confidence that it's good can sometimes really make a huge impact difference. Um, Like just the way that something's presented, if you're hesitant about it versus being like confident about it, spending that extra 30 minutes or an hour, a couple hours tweaking something, sometimes that can really impact the way that people take time to really soak in what you've created, especially because we're talking about art here, you know? And so enough has been said. (laughs) What do you think? When do you share? That's great. Um, I think, yeah, it depends. A lot of times the stuff in the season of life I'm in right now is there's deadlines. There's deadlines to hit, and it needs yeah. to be ready by then. Um, and so that's kind of a predominant one. But the other thing I wanted to mention is there's sometimes you just, sometimes you know, you know, something sounds right. It came off how you wanted it to. You revised it, and you're like, okay. This is kind of what I had hoped for, um, and I totally agree with you. The difference between waiting that one extra time to give it a little more, like a little bit more, can sometimes be dramatic. So that's something. I mean, that's definitely a tension to uh, to think about. And there are other times where it's just like I have to send it out 
because I need to do it. I don't like it. You know, I've told uh, Cassie, my wife, I've told her on certain papers, I'm like, I really don't like this paper, but I'm going to, I'm just going to send it. I have to send it. Like, I, I just, it's not what I wanted. It, it doesn't fit it. And she's like, I'm yeah. sure it'll be fine. And sure enough, like I get back some, you know, one paper got really good feedback. And I'm like, okay. Well, it's like in my head, it was worse than it was. And so sometimes it's about getting over that. Mm. I know Steinbeck, after he um, sent off, I think, the Grapes of Wrath manuscript, he was like, oh, I really hope it's good. It's like he had just written the Grapes of Wrath, wow. and he was hoping that it was good. And so I feel like that um, uncertainty about you know whether or not I should send it, like artists yeah. have that. It's part like of the job. You lose objectivity at some point, and you're just like, because you lose the feeling, like you can never experience the feeling of just seeing your art as if it had been created already. And so Oof. you make something for years or for months or for hours and hours, and then you put it out and then someone sits down and let's like a director spends, maybe I saw a tweet the other day or something. And it was like, you watch a movie and make comments on it in two hours. And it probably took about two years to make that. And it's crazy because someone pours millions of dollars and years of their life into making something for an hour and a half. And then you just say, oh, that kind of sucked. And then it's like, that's it, you know, or, or, oh, that was great. But, but you, you can never, as the creator of something, experience the moment of like, whoa, how did they do this? It's as if they're creating this in real time and it's so good. Um, so it's funny because I heard um, Matt Diavello on YouTube say, if you want to start a YouTube channel, you have to know that making a YouTube video does not feel like watching a YouTube video. And it was pretty profound. It's funny, but it's profound because so good watching a YouTube video, good music, it's slow B-roll. Like his videos have this like slow B-roll of, of him pouring coffee and all this like cool cinematography happening. But that's not how it feels for him to make it. And just realizing that and being like, man, maybe I don't want to be a YouTuber. The maybe coffee's I, uh, cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like maybe I just want to look like to have my life look so, you know, like a movie. Aesthetic, and so yeah. it's it's just interesting. Oh, dude, that's great. I, I really, this has been kind of a fun discussion there with this last one. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about too. Yeah. You're, you've kind of got to accept that you can always revise. I mean, there's some stuff, like, mm. I feel like there's some poems where I'm like, that I'm not going to change. Like, it's just really certain. Okay, this is, ex like, I can't, this is how it has to be written um, when I'm dealing with, like, you know, a poem or something. But if you're thinking about, like, a, I don't know, a, a hundred-page thesis for, like, like, my master's program or something. Like, there's no, like, there's tons of stuff I could change for that. Like, I had to turn that thing in, and there's tons of stuff. Or, like, getting kind of the gears ready for a dissertation coming up. It's like, there's going to be tons of stuff to change. And so, you've kind of got to accept it's going to be incomplete. Walt Whitman, like, published Leaves of Grass, his collection, and he, like, published, like, I think five five more revised editions after that. He kept going back and revising it. Um, I just I just fact-checked to make sure I had that right. Uh, but yeah, it's the the idea of that you're going to have to, there's always room for revision. And so that's part of like accepting that, trying to get it as polished as you can, right? Try to hit whatever goals that you're, you need to be hitting. But ultimately, there's going to be, you know, most likely there's going to be room you can revise always. And when you hit that share button, it could be better. And you've just kind of got to accept it. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of what I was thinking of right there for final thoughts on the, on the win. Mm. I, I love it. And I think I could say on the music side that sometimes the demo vocals sound better than the final vocals. And sometimes you have to go back and it's like, Oh, you know, we have some, the fan in the background because we were recording at the house or, you know, there's a little bit of a glitch in the sound, but the performance, like the moment, like we had something special there that felt better and we can keep revising the crap out of this, but sometimes you revive the, revise the life out of it and you lose that kind of spark of whatever was in yes. the moment created yes. and, and, and you just like turn it into something that feels cold and feels 
um, artificial, artificial. That's a great word. And that, I just feel that sometimes when we're, when we're editing a song, I can tell like, Oh, we're taking what was special out of this because it, it was a mistake. Like we're, but the mistake was beautiful, you know, and that's kind of cool. So that's very cool. That's a good spot to end on. I think. Hmm. Well, speaking of mistakes, this was an hour and six minutes. <laughs> trying to, we've, we've said we're trying to do thirty to forty-five, but today we, you know, I think it was a good episode. You I got think some, this was. You're welcome, content. fans, for your extra content. If, if, if <laughs> oh, you've made it this far, thank you. <laughs> if you've made it through this many episodes, I would say you are definitely a fan. Yeah, um, which we're appreciative of. And so, let us know on our email uh, what we can do. Yeah, what you're interested in, if there's something that stood out to you in this episode or the other episodes or we're missing something, let us know because we'd love to talk about it um, and engage those ideas. Yeah, I know at this point, uh, anyone who's listening is is a friend or a friend of a friend. And so, yeah, I'm just excited to hear what you think about these conversations. I hope it's really connecting with you. And uh, please reach out at heycraftpodcast at gmail.com to send us some updates. And This will be in the credits too, of course, but please subscribe so you know when we put out the new episodes and um, just send this to one friend. If you could send it to just one of your friends who you think, only if you think that they would like it. Yeah, I think that that would be super helpful. Like I said earlier, that's really our marketing strategy. (laughs) So that's it. And thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com, H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.